0: Canuck Central, hour number two. Dan Riccio and Satyar Shower in the Kintex studio. This hour is brought to you by Andrew Sherritt Limited, your plumbing and heating wholesaler. A proud family-owned B.C. company helping local business since 1892. If you missed hour one of the show, you can catch it on the podcast on all your favorite podcatchers. Subscribe, leave a review. That way you never do Miss an episode or a post game show, any of our exclusive interviews. We talked about some of Jim Rutherford's comments from Saturday night, the rebuild comment, and also the habits comment that has persisted through his entire tenure since taking over in last January. Also, Frank Saravalli joined us uh, on the program in hour one as well. So you can check that out on podcast. A lot of interesting thoughts from our insider here on this Monday. A uh, lot of uh, reaction from our live listeners is—it's uh, kind of the way it's been, given uh, how the cuts oh. have played so far. Sat, uh, oh, what's, yeah. what's happening on the Dunbar Lumber text line?
1: A lot is happening. So uh, let's uh, let's first of all respond to uh, people got really fired up with Frank's take on mm-hmm. the rebuild and how it takes too long and everything. And the missing context is how long this build has taken in Vancouver because fans were saying, and listen, I was chief amongst uh, those who, who was yelling for a rebuild back in 2015 and said, do what's right now so you, know, you get ahead of this and all yeah. that sort of stuff. And it, yeah, you might have to take it on the chin for a few years, but maybe better things are ahead. And hey, you've done it this way, and you have one playoff appearance to show for it in a bubble a year where nobody got to even go to those games. So, I mean, you, no Canucks fan has seen Elias Pedersen in the playoffs, Quinn Hughes in the playoffs, Brock Besser in the playoffs.
0: Not live at Rogers Arena, no.
1: JT Miller. You have not seen those guys in person. They have not played a single playoff game at Rogers Arena.
0: Yeah, you haven't been waving towels at Rogers Arena during a playoff game.
1: And honestly, I don't even diminish them making the playoffs that year because I thought with, with the circumstances coming back and them beating Minnesota, I, I, I give them all the all the credit in the world for their run, how they played, and all that sort of stuff. They but came
0: prepared then.
1: They did. They absolutely did. And, yeah. and you know what? And part of the issue here was that was a time to make sure you'd launch off, and then they didn't. Yeah. They stopped their ambition. They lost some key players. And I was was for not signing some of those guys into their 30s. Like, I'm not going to change my tune and say I, I wasn't saying don't give Markstrom six times six and don't give Tan, uh, you know Chris Tanev a long-term contract after all the injuries. I mean, I had all those same concerns.
0: Tanev was the prototypical, like... Let this guy walk.
1: Yeah. And hey, you, you might look at Toffoli and say, what has he really done since the trade in that one year in Montreal? But you keep Toffoli, you don't make the trade for Garland. Yeah. And that was always the big one for me. He would have signed for about $4 million, even less than what Mikhail signed for. Would have been a fine top six, top nine forward for you. And it would have solved a lot of your problems. And instead, you don't, even though you had the money to do it, you could have not brought Jake back, but they wanted to bring him back. They didn't, you know, ownership didn't green light enough money. So they went from being, okay, we're going to be a playoff team to all of a sudden they stopped their ambition. And I don't want to do too much of this, you know, history stuff. Yeah. But that to me, to your point about if you want to give this group at least some benefit, that was the best they showed. And that's when the rug was kind of pulled from underneath them that next off season. Yeah. And from then, it's been disaster, disaster start after disaster start to start a season.
0: A lot of this does, you know, come back around to ownership. And, you know, you mentioned it there with that. And we know it's long been a conversation around going full in on a rebuild and how much of an appetite does yeah. ownership have for that? There's a lot of ownership groups around the league that don't have an appetite for it. I think
1: fans here do. I think a lot of fans have an appetite for it. And and I think you you even... Listen, the the, the thing that got me the other night... Was this was the paying crowd at Rogers Arena? Yeah. The crowd. Okay, anytime you you hear people call into radio shows and text them or read them or social media, people say well, that's a mind It's this the minority, the loud minority on social media. You guys worry too much about what people on radio and social media have to say. The paying crowd is different. The people that show up to the games, they're different. And yes, not every single person who was at the arena was booing. Not all eighteen thousand were booing, but I've never seen a home opener go like that. Yeah. I've never seen the paying crowd lose. Patience that quickly, and then throw stuff on the ice in the first game of a season. Ian McIntyre said it was the it was the worst home opener in Canucks. He's never. He, I'm like I haven't seen something like that in, in NHL history for a home opener. A Not long, a home opener. You know, and it's probably happened somewhere, but I can't think of one off the no. top of my mind. It Has never happened in Vancouver before, and it was a paying crowd showing their dissatisfaction. And we had people texting in saying, "I'm I'm a season ticket holder. I've never left the game early." And I'm livid. I want to rebuild. So when the paying crowd is now saying, I'm, I want to rebuild, it kind of shows you where the appetite is. So what does a
0: rebuild look like?
1: That's the big question.
0: You know, like if you're being realistic about a rebuild, well, then you've got to be able to stomach what that truly, truly looks like. And it's not pretty. Yeah. And it, it essentially means because and, – and this is why – you know, once you drafted Elias Petterson and Quinn Hughes and had an understanding like, hey, these are guys we want to build around, or you had an inkling that these are guys we want to build around, that's when you sort of really move away from the rebuild card. At least for me. Because if you are going to go all in on a rebuild now, it probably involves moving those guys. Yes. <laughs> yeah, well, I mean, if, if you want to do a real rebuild...
1: If you look at it and say, okay, we're doing a five-year rebuild, you have to trade Demko. Yeah. Okay, this is not me have saying... to trade Demko. I'm not saying you have to trade Demko. You should trade Demko. I'm saying if you're doing a full-on rebuild, like an aggressive four-, five-year plan, because you have four more years of Demko, yeah. how do you... If anything, you you have to trade him. You can't keep a guy who has four years left on his... Who has, sorry, sorry. Three years after this season left yeah. on his contract.
0: So just to be clear, this is... Uh, our, our listeners and live listeners and people have been talking about it... Uh, all week, all weekend, especially after Saturday. let's Just rebuild this thing. They should have rebuilt before. that. It needs to happen. Well, this is what it would look like. Yeah. And trading Demco is the biggest one because what, what's the worst thing that's going to – like what's the worst thing to have when you're trying to tank? A yeah. good goalie. <laughs> you don't want a guy making saves. When Tim Murray was the GM in Buffalo and they were tanking for McDavid – He basically traded any goalie that made half a save. Yeah, He's like, you You almost caught that puck. You're Mm out of here. Exactly. Well, not only he's going to win you a bunch of games,
1: which hurts your whole tank idea, and you're not maximizing the value of one of the most valuable players on your team. You have to do that. And if you're doing that, you're trading JT to who we just signed, if you can, because his contract's about to kick in. He's going to be 30, and you're trading Bo. And the only two players you're keeping is PD and Hughes. Yeah. I mean it put coals in two, of course, and you know, prospects and all that sort of stuff.
0: And, that's and what it would have to be a discussion about whether or not he's willing to stomach that and whether or not he's willing to, to sign long term under that, those that's circumstances. A, that's a fair
1: question. But I think the only realistic big rebuild, big R rebuild, I don't the studs one isn't gonna happen. You're not trading Hughes and Pet and everybody, you're not doing all of that. I think the most aggressive one you can think of is keeping Hughes, keeping Petterson, and yeah. then trading everybody else. But that's a three to four year commitment. But you're yep. literally then you have to commit to doing everything else. I don't see that happening. Yep. You know, we can talk about whether that should happen or not. And and I see people texting in because what I said before was it's going to be hard for Vancouver to do a lot of stuff this year unless they take losses on stuff or like they have to retain or they have to you know give up assets. So maybe the best thing for them is kind of biting it and letting opportunities arise. It was interesting though listening to Frank Sierra Valley mention Garland does have value, Myers does have value. And if you're punting on the season, you can probably trade those guys pretty quickly. You trade those guys, leaves pretty big holes for your team. Now, maybe if you ask Boudreaux, he doesn't feel the same way about Garland not being there with him scratching him. But Myers, they feel very strongly about. And I don't think they're going to trade him for nothing unless they feel like their season is slipping away. So if you're able to do that this year and then you make a decision on Bo, then you are getting ahead of it. You know, mm-hmm. and you can do a bit more. Ultimately, Dan, but that's more
0: I, of a retool. It's it not is, a... but
1: but honestly, it's going to be more of a retool. You know, yeah. like, it's going to be more of a small R rebuild where they keep Hughes, they keep Patterson, uh, they keep Demko, and they probably do end up keeping Miller. They keep those guys, and they do their best to move everybody else out. But I think all along that's kind of been their thing. Like yeah. I don't think that's changed too much. And for that to change, for them to say, okay, maybe Miller and Demko. I don't think we're at that breaking point yet. Maybe fans want that, and maybe a Rutherford was, you know, thinking about it, and maybe finally he's 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 taking into consideration saying we maybe have to do this. But I, I think things have to get a lot worse, and and the landscape has to change more for them to get to a point where they're considering those things. I don't think they're there.
0: I I, I want to give one thought on Miller because this question is coming in a ton uh, to the Dunbar Lumber text message inbox. Could you trade Miller? Yeah. And of well, course you, you could. Of course you could, because he doesn't have an O-trade clause. He doesn't have an O-move clause. doesn't kick in until next year. Yeah. But he does have, uh, what is it, $8.5 million signing bonus? Eight and a quarter? So it's It's over $8 million, his yeah. signing bonus, going into that first year of that contract. And two, even if you assume he rediscovers his form of last year or something close to it and is about a point per game as the season goes on, is he tradable? Yes. But are you even getting... What you would have gotten at last year's deadline for him, given that a team is taking on a seven year, $56 million commitment. Yeah. Like, yet, this is the thing about that. Like, would teams sign JT to that contract in the offseason if he was a free agent? Yes, they would. But are they trading for it? That's a different question. Because when a player is free, teams are willing to commit a little bit more money Mm -hmm. in order to acquire that player. But when they have to give up assets in order to acquire that contract, it's a very different story.
1: Exactly. And that's so, where the landscape changes.
0: So, yeah, it's the evaluation, the equation for trading, trading JT, if you even thought that that is a possibility, isn't the same as it was before the contract was signed. Mm-hmm. That's pretty obvious. But you know, that's essentially what a big R type of rebuild Looks like, and it's it's not pretty. It would be pretty ugly for a few years. You're taking on ugly contracts from other teams in order to get more draft picks. It's um, you know, you you would be the Arizona Coyotes and where they are right now. Yeah, I mean, you could. I mean, it, it can go
1: either way. The reason why I'm not, I, I've never been a proponent. Well, not never, but not now with this group. I'm not a proponent of that big rebuild. Is because you got a goalie in Demko, you have a defenseman in Hughes, you have a centerman in Patterson you you may get three top 5 picks in a row and not get three players as good as those, as good as those two three guys yeah. you know
0: i mean i always thought that the play was never for me a rebuild you know i i i wasn't on board with the miller signing in the summer you can go back and listen to our uh, to our discussion on our emergency podcast when when they announced the signing but it was always more about a slow play retool mm-hmm. and let a year maybe like Maybe say two years from now, that's where we're headed. And Rutherford sort of spoke about his timeline in a little bit more clarity on Saturday after hours. Didn't get as much play as some of the other clips that we've played with, but it's he said from the beginning, my timeline has always been two years. So this was never really a year that he felt they were going to be a cup contender. In my eyes, from what Rutherford said on Saturday, they plan to have more of a finished product going into next season, which is difficult to envision where Mm -hmm. things are right now, but that's how Rutherford, when he started to build out this fraud office and his vision of the club, uh, it seems as though his idea is next year is when they're – a lot more set up to do the things that they want to do.
1: Yeah, and the the bet they made, which made sense at the time because the value wasn't there, and the one that I don't know there was a lot of also issue with is the Brock Besser one. Yes. Does he turn to, into an asset to you at some point? Because he wasn't a good enough asset trade-wise for them to trade him, so they figured they signed up to a three-year deal. Does he play well enough to either, A, earn the contract and be here, or enough to be a trade asset? Or are you going to be in a position where you look at it and said, should we have not qualified this guy? Which is insane to think of if yeah. you're at that point. But you know, for those who say trade bester, I think if they're trading bester now, it's at an all-time low, value-wise. And you're probably taking money back. You know, not to say re- you're retained, but somebody you you know, money in money. Hey, honestly, look around yeah. the league, dude. If you're trying to make a trade with a with, with a contender or a good team, they gotta send you money back.
0: Nobody has cap space. What has Besser shown you that? <laughs> Another team would say, hey, let's take on this guy who's making near $7 million right now. So
1: the point I'm I'm trying to make here is for a lot of their guys right now, unless they play better, there's really not much they can do. And if you want to be critical of them, how they handle their assets, did they overcommit to guys they should have moved even for less? And that's a question because I get it because you don't – this team didn't have a ton of good tradable assets. and. Whatever trade they're going to have to make, they have to hit on big because they don't have a ton of picks, they don't have a ton of prospects. And if you're trading one of your good players, you have to get something tangible in return and you need the cap space, but you need something in return as well because you don't have much. But do you get to the point where you're like, the cap space matters more than anything we get back in return? Yeah. Are they going to be faced with that reality because they want to get assets in return? And does that shift their thinking? Because to what Frank mentioned, they can make trades for a couple of guys now, but the reason they don't also want to make trades now is they want to get something for guys.
0: Yeah.
1: At what point do you just say, you know what, forget the return, let's just clear some money out. And if that means we're taking a loss on a guy that we acquired, we take a loss on the guy we acquired.
0: I think a lot of it does come down to the evaluation. And I agree with Frank. Connor Garland should have value around the league. He's a player who can score at even strength. Mm-hmm. He proved that in Arizona. He proved that in Vancouver last year. He helps drive play in an age of, you know, Analytics, his numbers are generally really good. Yeah. You know, so I, I've always felt like it's a player you can move, but is it at quite the value, you know, you would think a player giving that level of production should get. So that's maybe where the disconnect comes in. We've talked about Tyler Myers forever and maybe the big stumbling block is the signing bonus next offseason, whatever it might be. But right shot D men that can play big minutes—they're always in demand around them.
1: Honestly, league. I even think if they want if they if they retain some on Myers, they can trade him too. And I heard yeah. that as well. The problem with Myers is they don't want to retain anything now, or yeah. at least nothing too much. You, you know, because in a year's time, I think honestly, once that bonus gets paid, you might get a second round pick for Myers in the last year of his contract,
0: and not have to retain.
1: Maybe retain a million, yeah, just to make the numbers number. Well, if work the cap goes
0: bit. up, maybe that you know makes it a little bit easier to. It's one move year. Myers without having to retain. You
1: know, and if you do retain a bit, you're getting something. It's hard for Vancouver to retain now and get that. But in a year's time, when there's less money owed to him, he becomes a valuable asset. And I think they're holding out to try to get for some guys a turn to be valuable for them because their plan is longer than this year. Like as much as they're trying to make the playoffs this year, again the hope is we're, we want to build and have more flexibility in a year's time. But the problem is it's blowing up in their face. And, and they can't sell it to the fans anymore. And it'd be like the hope was you're competitive enough, you're good enough that fans say, okay, let's let's go along for the ride. But now, I mean, the pitchforks are out, and people yeah. are just are sick and tired of it already. So you've already used your buffer to start well, this season. Game
0: seven, and Guillaume Bresba is a backup, yeah. you know, and playing games for this team. <laughs> Who would have thought that was coming? He's going to yeah. be the tenth defenseman already this year to suit up for the Vancouver Canucks. We're seven games in, sad. That's rough. Very rough. And, yeah, nobody could have expected that. Um, How how deep are you going to to build out your defense? How deep are you going to be able to build out your defense when you're so up against the cap? Should they have done more to, you know, change up the defense? This goes back to what you've said for a long time. They've tried. It didn't work out. (laughs) It's what Jim Rutherford has been saying. And I did, you know, I I, I quite liked what what Elliot said about, you know, training camp and how hard it is to admit that it didn't go well, because to some level that is an admission of failure on Jim Rutherford's part. But he hasn't been shy about saying they haven't done all of the things that they would have liked to do. He hasn't been shy about saying um, that they wanted to change the defense. But one thing you've brought up a ton that isn't brought up enough, Sat, This defense is super expensive as is. Mm -hmm. Are you going to keep adding money to that already expensive defense that isn't working? Or are you going to try and find ways to be able to move that out at some point before adding more cap to your back end? So.
1: You see this kind of more in the corporate areas a lot where they have clear designations for departments. Like this is your budget, this is how much you're spending, and this is what you have and you have to make do with it. And to overall run your business, you have everything set up and spliced up. So you know how much money is being spent everywhere. So you can be at the optimal outcome for your entire organization. And with the way these new front offices think, a lot of it does also come down to the percentage of money you're allocating to different position groups. The Canucks already have one of the most expensive blue lines in the National Hockey League. Yep. Budgetary-wise, it doesn't make sense. It's illogical to keep throwing more money at that issue and then moving guys down and then making it even a more bloated back end. You have to subtract from it. That's not to say that the Canucks couldn't have maybe done more to shed money and save that money. Like, to me, like I, understand, I, don't, I don't think the Mikhaev and the defenseman thing uh, should be lumped in together. I think it's easy to say, hey, the, the Canucks signed Mikhaev. They shouldn't have. They should have signed a defenseman instead. I don't buy that.
0: Yeah, they could have not signed Mikhaev and really gone after John Marino.
1: Right. You could have done that. Yeah. Right. But then you're adding more to the blue line. Yeah. The argument that I have more time for or that I like better, not to say that it's, not, it's wrong, you can have your opinion, but the one that I think is more accurate is maybe you shouldn't have added any more money onto the books long-term at the moment. Yes. I get it. You guys don't have a lot of flexibility to improve the defense, but how about you maintain the flexibility you have and save it for next year instead of adding more to the forward group. I think that's a fair way of saying big picture because that money could be available for you to do other things and give you some room to maneuver. I, I like that argument if you didn't like the McKay of signing. But realistically, this team can't really improve this blue line unless they move money out. They have to move money out of it one way or another. And it's hard to improve the defense, but that's what you have to do. That's your job that you're with. And hey, maybe it takes more than a year, but eventually that's something you guys have to solve as a new management team. Like that's just something you're gonna have to do no matter how hard it is. But realistically, throwing more money at it is not a is not a tenable solution.
0: It's it's really not. And uh one player that I think is really interesting in how do you make the defense less expensive is Oliver Ekman Larson Sat. Because he's essentially an untradable asset. Yeah. So And he's looked very poor to start this season. Mm-hmm. And I, I really liked OEL's game last year. Did not like it on Saturday. Haven't liked it much at all so far this year. And now he's essentially being thrust in the, into the number one D-man role, which at this stage of his career, he is ill-equipped to play. So it's only going to get more difficult, and it's only going to get uglier right now for Oliver Ekman Larson and I wonder you know at what point does that contract become something you consider with a buyout I think you know I wonder
1: that if if Oliver Ekman Larson didn't have a no move clause if there would have been some possibilities yeah around him
0: well we know there was only one other team he wanted to go to before getting traded to Vancouver
1: yeah and I mean you know there was the uh I think he was approached at least once about it, or at least there were discussions at least once. If and he would waive the no move. At some point. Or here whatever. in Vancouver. Yeah, and hey, when, when they first took over, management asked him. And yeah. hey, that's, it was standard. You ask because you're new, you come in, you, you talk to all the guys. How do you feel about being here? Do you want to stay here? Um, do you, are you open to going elsewhere? Would you be willing to go elsewhere if somebody comes yep. calling? That's just standard stuff. You don't read too much into it. The question is, did they ask him again at some point? Maybe yeah. they did. I have reason to believe maybe that happened at some point, which would mean maybe somebody had a level of interest in him. But with his play too, when does that kind of dry up? Yeah, you know, even if he is willing to to waive his no trade clause, are you getting to the point where can you even move him? Because I I mean, he's got four more years left after this one. He was he was he hasn't been good so far this year, and he's got to be a lot better. You might get to a point where buying that contract out actually makes more sense for you. You have to wait at least. I think. I think you have to bite it one more year, because otherwise you're staring at a what a, a eight year buyout here.
0: So actually, uh, it it is a contract you can uh, buy out next off season. Yeah. you would save eight million dollars on the cap next year.
1: Well, they'd actually they'd save less because uh, it's retained salary right. from the Arizona one. So but I'm yes. reading the full salary. Yeah, but yes. they would retain about seven point. 2, 7.1 million. They would essentially
0: have his, his cap hit uh, almost uh, his cap hit next year would be $146,000.
1: So you clear all that money. Up Basically clear
0: that. $7 million. Now, that.
1: after that, uh, after that, he's on the books for seven more years.
0: Yeah. 2.3,
1: 4.7, 4.7, 2.1, 2.1, 2.1, 2.1. So
0: you'd have four years of a $2 million penalty. Um, every other year you get quite a decent chunk of savings. Even that for the year, next four years of the contract.
1: And even that year at four point seven six, you're you're essentially getting two and a half million in cap space. Yeah. Which maybe you feel like you can use that better. The cap is going up by that year as well. I, I think you would rather maybe try to delay that buyout one more year because yeah. it's easier for you to maybe get through it for one more year after that. Like maybe you don't want to punt on it. And if you get to that point, it's even less for a few years, you get under two million. And the cap's going to be going up. But, you know, the more realistic one with Oliver Ekman Larson, if he doesn't get better, might have to be buying him out.
0: Well, and if you are, uh, again, this is about, I I view it as if if you're Rutherford and you want to maximize next year, then it should be a part of the conversation if OEL doesn't uh, turn around his play from where he's been so far this season. Uh, All right. Don Taylor is going to join us. uh, His take on what he saw Saturday night and more on the Vancouver Canucks. It's Dan Riccio, Satyar Shaw, Canucks Central. Canucks Central in the Kintech studio. Dan Riccio, Satyar Shah. Kintech footwear and orthotics, Canada's favorite orthotics provider, supported by over 1,500 five-star Google reviews. Find your perfect fit at Kintec.net. Coming up, Don Taylor is going to join us. This hour is brought to you by Andrew Sherrett Limited, your plumbing and heating wholesaler, a proud family-owned BC company helping local business since 1892. Sad. Just a, a quick thought on uh, on the NFL this weekend. Oh,
1: you want to bring that up?
0: Seahawks are better than the Cleveland Browns. This is
1: great. Far better. Far better. <laughs> far better.
0: The Seahawks are the best team in the NFC West. Let's I know. go!
1: I can't believe it. Can't believe it. Geno Smith, Smith
0: Kenneth Walker, Tariq Woolen. <clears throat> I'm loving this team. Yeah.
1: Man. See, when it comes to uh, the Canucks, I'm always like, hey, listen, be patient. Don't do anything. Can they fire everyone in Cleveland <laughs> already?
0: <laughs> That's when you know you've reached true fan status. You just want everybody to be fired. Oh, man, I'm there again. I'm
1: there again. I'm, I'm just so sick and tired of that coaching staff. Like, I just can't believe it. I just can't believe yeah. the mistakes. Like, They just cost themselves games. This should be a winning team. Instead of them being 2-5, and it yeah. should be 5-2 and two at least.
0: They have the same record as the Pittsburgh Steelers. It's an absolute joke.
1: It's <laughs> <laughs> an absolute joke.
0: Uh, it's uh, it's tough right now, tough sledding. Uh, let's uh, bring in Don Taylor. Uh, joins us now here on uh, on Canucks Central. What's happening, Donnie?
2: Well, uh, we'll see you tonight, I guess. <laughs> that's, that's number one on the on the list. I've got uh, a night of hockey watching planned, and yeah, for Canucks fans' sake, let's hope it goes better.
0: Yeah, is uh, was that the worst home opener you've ever seen here in Vancouver?
2: At least fan reaction. I can't. It has to be to, yeah. to be that upset that that early. It's got to be number one on the list. I know they lost their first ever home opener, but that was expected. <laughs> but to come back <laughs> to come back, uh, you know, with five straight losses and then to lay an egg like that, even with the injuries, so, oh, that was just uh, so memorable. I, I can't. I can't remember anything like that.
1: No, and you know, Donnie, the thing that got me was the paying crowd acting that way. For the first game of the season? Because, I mean, haven't we been saying for so long that, hey, there are two fans in this market, really, the paying fans that may mm-hmm. be different in what they expect and what they want, that they show up to the rink, and then the fans on social media, the fans that call in, the fans that are loud and, and say stuff and get out and, and show their displeasure. that That's a minority. They're not the ones that pay. Mm-hmm. It was a paying crowd, an affluent crowd that uh, lost it in the first game of the season. That's what really got me.
2: Yeah, the, you know, they're, they're you know, um, the, the the fans that probably, you know, the, obviously the ones that buck up, you could call them the most loyal fans, and they were ready to attack. And, and sure enough, they, they did. And, you know, in, in a way, rightfully so. And, and I, I understand that the Canucks had injuries, but just the way things went down. And, uh, you know, Buffalo is Buffalo. They haven't won a playoff series in 15 or 16 years. And for them to look dominant, it was really tough to take for a lot of people. And of course, they came in at the same time, their, their expansion uh, cousins. But for them to not only um, come in, but as a franchise that's had difficulties in a way similar to the Vancouver Canucks, and to come in and look that dominant with really good young players, where and I know that Buffalo has its warts, like the Sabres have their warts like, uh, like no other franchise, maybe, or arguably, but if they came in with, looking so much better than the Canucks and coming in with a focus and a plan, which it doesn't seem like the Canucks have. And, um, or maybe they do, and it's just not working. That was a little hard to take. And then you look at not just the the fact that Canucks came in on a five game losing streak, opening the season with five straight losses, but the way they lost and uh, not being able to hold multiple goal leads, it was just tough to take. And, Away you went with the sweater throwing and the booing. I wasn't surprised at all.
0: It's a lot about this season, sure, and how they've started. But I, a lot of this frustration, Donnie, we know goes goes back to the years under Benning and, and never really truly playing the rebuild card. And you know, fans have just seen the same story too often uh, here in here in Vancouver.
2: And I think, uh, Dan, I think one of the things that hurts the most. Is that back in December when all of this change went down? Canuck fans were under the impression that there was a promise that things were going to change. And, you know, before this, you know, after the sweater throwing, after the booing and all of that, you know, Jim Rutherford goes on hiking in Canada and basically, and I'm paraphrasing here, but he used the phrase transition on the fly. Man, people have heard that for 10 years or thereabouts, and it just, it was just, it it, it was jaw-dropping, really, that all that change in management, the new approach to management where there's a beefier front office, more people, smarter people, supposedly, and it just seems the same. It just seems the exact same, you know, signing lengthy contracts and and all of that, and I think that's just, combined with the losses, it was just way too much to to take. And I don't know about you guys, but we've run – a couple of polls, more than a couple of polls on our show regarding who to blame. And the coaching staff, Bruce Boudreaux, is taking very little of it. This is more, according to the fans, more on management and ownership.
1: Yeah, I mean, it really and management is taking it. But I think really, most of frustration kind of falls on ownership, because the, the sense is that ownership has been the reason they haven't made more changes. And the fact that more changes haven't been made, been made this year, it's easy for fans to look at it and say, well, that's what happened in the past. So it must be true right now. It's ownership not letting them make the moves. It's ownership forcing them to sign J.T. Miller. And listen, None of us know exactly what's going on. No. Everything I hear is that the front office is very autonomous. They're making their own decisions and all that sort of stuff. But I guess we'll find out in a few years if it goes peer shaped or whatever happens. But more than anything, as far as individual players, because I'm not expecting any trades today or tomorrow or anything, yeah. but with Bo Horvat, is it not getting to the point now where it's becoming pretty obvious that he's not going to be here long-term?
2: <laughs> well, after Saturday night, I'm thinking, yeah, it's, it's pretty obvious. Yeah. He's, probably, he's probably thinking... Uh, I, I'm out of here. What's the future hold mm-hmm. for this organization? You know, is that a happy place to be in that room? Is it a happy place to be in the arena with people booing you and throwing sweaters and all of that? Do you see a plan going forward? If you're bull Horvat, you know, you know, there, there's this thought that, uh, you know, they were going to wait this out. I heard this first, the first time, as you know, I still all my stuff off of you guys. Uh, the first time I, I heard this was on 650 that all oh, the Canucks are waiting you know, for Bo Horvat to see, you know, you know what the season is is going to be like, and then they can use Bo Horvat as a as a trade chip or sign him, whatever the case may be. Let's see how the season goes. But hey, what about the other way around? What about Bo have Bo Horvat waiting uh, to see what happens, and then he sees how the season goes, and he looks at what the future might hold, and and then he will resign or not resign. Maybe that's what's happening uh, here. It's it could be the team waiting on things. Apparently, uh, it could be Bo Horvat waiting on things versus the team it's uh you know on top of everything else they're they're risking losing their captain
0: yeah and it's it's kind of unfortunate that you know they commit to Miller and now with the way things have gone it's almost like it it feels like you have to trade Bo at some point this season to get the assets that you weren't able to get In, in a Miller deal I always felt like it was one or the other and Donnie I'm I'm kind of wondering uh how do you feel about the Miller contract 6 games into the season do you think it's uh, already an albatross
2: It seems that way uh, it it really does and and um I I just uh, you know wonder if if it was between the two I think Miller was the more obvious choice given the 99 points uh, although we all know um he's getting older like like everybody else he is he is older than than Bo Horvat Uh, Ah, it's it doesn't look good right now, guys. And and the thing that is really bothersome is when you think about the start that they've had, and that argument between Miller and Shen after the second period, and you know just you know you hate to say this. I'm judging from the outside looking in, but you know judging by personality types and what little we do know, it, it just seems that. You know, JT Miller at the very least is. It seems to be somewhat of an alpha male in that dressing room. Certainly on, on the ice, and when I saw that with with Shannon Miller, I just had to think, man, is it going to be like this for seven more years? Um, that was that was tough to take for a lot of people.
1: Yeah, the the way I looked at it, and and I'm maybe it's me being hopeful here because I I want to be a bit optimistic. Is yeah. that. Somebody did call him out if that's the case. And I think it's a good thing for somebody to check the alpha in the room every once in a while because I think that needs to happen. There needs to be a healthy ecosystem that everybody can get called out. And we're not there to say that he hasn't been called out in the past or if that's a recurring issue or not. But if if accountability and holding certain players accountable is an issue and that's what was going on, then maybe it is a positive. But with everything we've seen, it's hard to kind of take the optimistic outlook on things.
2: Yeah. Yeah yeah i yeah, i think you're you're bang on i th- I think what would have been more worrisome if somehow you'd find out about it because it was very visual right We didn't hear what we're saying, but it was pretty obvious what was what was being said so you 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 take that and maybe it is a turning point because at least it seemed in that moment that the players cared and the worst thing that that could happen to that organization at least that that team is when the players see a mistake being made um Players see a mistake being made, and they just go okay. I'm getting my check in a couple of weeks. I I I really don't care. And they just go off the ice. So you know maybe that was that was a positive in that at least Luke Shan and Miller and and certainly Garland who got involved at the end of the uh, confrontation. At least it seems like right now they care. So it, it's kind of it's kind of a weird way of saying that might have been the only positive moment. But 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 maybe and, I, and I'm with you, Sad. I think you know somebody was calling somebody out and something A mistake was made, and Shen pointed out that, well, there's a lot of people making them This is my guess. There are a lot of people making mistakes uh, out there, and uh, the veterans included. Because if you look at the end of that period, uh, J.T. Miller made a real ill-advised drop pass in his own end. Yeah. And I, I, so it, that had to have been involved because Shen was pointing to an area on the ice like, hey, what about that play over there? And I don't know if he was the he initially if he's the one who initially called out uh, a player called out Miller. I'm not sure, but it had to have something to do with that pass that Miller made near the end of the second. If you go back and and look at the uh, mm-hmm. at the game, we we
0: all know uh, Bruce isn't really at fault here, right? Uh, it's the same characters in this movie that we've seen before, and Bruce got them going for 57 games last year. But some of the old habits have crept back in, mm-hmm. as Jim Rutherford has alluded to. But is is like th- does there come a point where it gets so bad that that you have to make a change behind the bench?
2: Well, it's the old thing, Dan. You you know what's easier, firing one guy or twenty three. Yeah. So I, that, from that point of view, uh, uh, nothing would surprise me. Uh, the only thing that might surprise me from that point of view is if you if you fire Bruce, uh, that means and you hire someone else or promote someone else it means you're paying three people because they're still paying Travis Greaves. So from a financial point of view, that doesn't make a whole lot of sense. And look, you know, people talk about Bruce, and what he did last season, just under 60 games. It was very, very impressive. And what's the difference between this season so far and what we saw last season. To me, uh, the difference is if there are indeed warts in the way he coaches, uh, as has been alluded by management, but they still had a winning record last year. The difference to me this year is that Thatcher Demko isn't making up for those mistakes, and last year he did. And it's, and I'm not, I'm not knocking him, but in a way, just the makeup of the organization, in that, or probably of the roster, in that right now that this team, this roster, isn't making up for any flaws that Thatcher may have, and it was the other way around last year, and it's too bad.
1: How patient should fans be with management, you think?
2: Oh uh, well, we didn't see a lot of patience with the jersey throwing no. and the jersey burning on on social media. It, it's it's tough, Seth, because I think there's that same old same old feeling in, in, in town. Um, I think you know at this point that we're at game tonight against Carolina with a significant amount of injuries. Two of your top players in in Hughes and Besser are, are out, among others. Dermot uh, hasn't played uh, yet, etc. Cetera, et cetera, So I think. You know the patience will wear out when those players come back. I'm being realistic here. When those players come back and they're still playing like this, if that if that happens, then and Hughes was only away for one game, but he's arguably their best player. Um, I, I think if they come back, they're healthy and they're still playing like this. There's it's still in a mess. It looks like a mess on the ice. That's uh, that's that's what it'll take.
0: We need some positivity, Donnie. I,
2: I can't. I don't know. <laughs> you know, BC Lions play a whole playoff game for the first time since 2016 uh, in a couple of Saturdays. How about that?
0: Yeah, that's uh, that's that's pretty good. At least, at least there's something. And uh, as our uh, as, as producer and, and play-by-play man of the Vancouver Giants tells us, Eddie Gregory, the, the Vancouver Giants have won two in a row. So there's so there's and that. There you
2: go. There you go. And I said a couple of Saturdays. It's a couple of Sundays for now. It's a. Sunday afternoon game, November sixth against Calgary. So, uh, congrats to the Lions. There you go, there you go.
0: Uh, At least there's something. Hey, uh, hey, Donnie. Always appreciate the time and the insights. Thank you.
2: Anytime, guys. Lots of fun. Uh,
0: There is Don Taylor, the great Don Taylor, joins us uh, Monday through Friday, or joins us every Monday. Uh, His show is on Monday through Friday on Check TV, ten to noon. Donnie and Dolly uh maybe we'll have a win to talk about later tonight yeah not sure no looks unlikely
1: uh listen i want to be positive i want to see a victory i really do and i hope the paying fans see a victory now i know people are texting in and want to see the you know the tank thing happening and whatever it's early for all that talk you know the whole let's see what happens i think the entire market does need a win everyone needs a win right now. somebody
0: needs to pop the balloon
1: it needs to happen. You know, you need a victory. We need a bit, bit of a different tone to the post-game show. We need we need things to kind of change a little bit cuz even if you want changes to happen, they have to play better for some for for them to be a stable situation for them to be able to make some things happen. So,
0: there's a, there's a lot of things that would be better than just what we saw Saturday night. Yes, significantly. In that third period. Yes. You know. You can't as Bruce Boudreaux said after the game, you can't use the word quit lightly. But You'd like to see them play um, a lot harder than they did in that third period on Saturday. The fact that, as Elliot reported, Jim Rutherford uh, had a chat with the team yesterday during practice—I mean, that says a lot too, mm-hmm. right? You know, we're six games into the season. It's not like we're the ones saying this is this is a crisis. You can feel it from the organization at how dire the situation has gotten this quickly in the season. You can feel it just watching Jim Rutherford Saturday night on After Hours. I mean, and that's the thing. I see people saying, hey,
1: you know, it's only six games. Why are people, you know, saying it's over? Why are people being critical? Like, just relax, you know, all this sort of stuff. It's like, well, I mean, the organization doesn't seem too relaxed. The people making decisions, the people that are running the the ship, do not seem very relaxed. They're the ones saying stuff. that's. I mean, not once did I mention Rebuild. And I know Rutherford was being asked about a rebuild, and he kind of said it. He was lamenting it, like you mentioned, which I think was a great way of of, uh, describing uh, what he said. But I I think when they come out and say, rebuild, maybe, and they come out and say stuff like, hey, you know. We had a bad training camp. We had a really bad training camp, and the habits are bad, and this has to change. I mean, those are pretty incendiary things to say, you know. And those are not good signs. So- it goes beyond just losing because if if they weren't as concerned about it, what 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 would Rutherford say? Hey, guys, it's six games into the season. Uh, we've had our chances. We should be a lot better. He could have done some propaganda. He could have deflected. He could have easily have you know said a few things to to move
0: around the situation. But he laid into it. Um, it's <laughs> it it is tough to to sort of understand. You know what the effect of Saturday's little. Um, dispute between Luke Shen and J.T. Miller uh, may end up being. I know the immediate reaction wasn't one that you like, given how they played in that third period Saturday night. But you talked about it there with uh, with Don in that somebody has to check Miller. Mm-hmm. Um, it, it would be nice if it was... And one of the other bigger players on the team. Not to to disrespect Luke Shen at all. He's meant a lot to this roster since they brought him back in. But sometimes it's got to come from somebody further up the lineup, mm-hmm. you know. And it, it, it's these types of little mistakes that have just compiled on each other for the Canucks. The the drop passes and the suicide passes at the offensive blue line, and all of these things that they've continuously done game to game sometimes it really bites them and other times Thatcher Demko has been there to save the day but the latter half of those outcomes hasn't happened nearly as much this season and that's why it's i mean it's it's felt so much more because a lot of their mistakes those self-inflicted mistakes are ending up in the back of their net as Thatcher is working through his early season struggles.
1: For sure. And, you know, had you been getting a lot of saves, you'd be in a different situation right now. You'd be be talking about this a little bit differently. And, you know, but the reality is it's not. Now, I get Parker and Kitts says, look at the bright side. The entire Pacific is a dumpster fire with six and eight teams below 500. Seattle's in third with two wins. It's not like the Canucks are in the Atlantic where every single team is 500 or above. That's a nice little silver lining. I like this analogy from James and Qualicum Beach. I don't know. I'll watch but still a little upset. I feel like the Canucks and I had a date at a nice restaurant, and they showed up in jogging pants and a little drunk. It didn't end well. We're still together, but, you know, it's a little bitter at the time. That's James from Qualican Beach.
0: Were they uh, gray, gray joggers? Because I hear those are in these days. Are they? Yeah. Hmm. I don't know. Don't know what that's about. <laughs> yeah. Really? Are you trying to say something here, Dan? I don't know. <laughs> oh. Uh, it's Canuck Central. Dan Riccio and uh, and Satyar Shah. We've got the Canucks and Carolina Hurricanes coming up later on this evening. We'll get into pregame and more as we roll on from the Tech studio on Canuck Central.